Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about Talk to Me, the highest rated horror film of the year. Uh, really excited to get into this. We've been looking forward to it for a long time from A24. Also taking a look at They Clone Tyrone, a Netflix feature. Uh, you might have seen this on your front page. I'm telling you, we are a show that blows off Netflix features sometimes. <laughs> Please stick around and listen to this review. There's something cool going on in this movie, at least in my humble opinion. Very excited to talk about They Clone Tyrone. Not a sleeper. It's good stuff. Uh, we're talking about Haunted Mansion, a movie I didn't plan on seeing this week. Uh, we weren't going to cover it for the show, uh, but Christine and I were talking and she kind of wanted to see it. So we went last night and caught a screening. I'm going to cover that one solo. And before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Uh, first things first, the delays. Andy, it's finally happening. Uh, following the writers and actors strike, uh, films are starting to get pushed back. They're far away. People don't know about them yet, but something's going on. Uh, what's this about, Andy? Well, last week we talked that uh, there were a couple of delays already happening, um, and that was Challengers was being pushed to 2024, Poor Things was being pushed to December. It was the beginning of what we thought might be a domino effect of film delays, and sure enough, that's exactly what's happened this week. Uh, first off, we have the Gran Turismo movie, which was supposed to come out uh, about in about a week and a half, and that's been pushed. It's not, it's not just a game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's been pushed only a couple of weeks to August 25th, and this is interesting because they don't, they can't have any star power, but they're hoping to to release like uh, some small like preview screenings and hoping that like there's some audience buzz about that. I don't think that's going to really work, but that's what they're doing. But that's been moved just to the end of the month. Uh, some of the bigger uh, delays have been a uh, Craven the Hunter was supposed to come out this October has been pushed a full year from now to August 2024. Uh, that's pretty wild. That and that's that's an R-rated comic book thing, so they definitely want star power for that. Uh, Spider Verse Three Beyond the Spider Verse has been taken off the calendar in, entirely and not been given a new date. But the the previous date was a little shaky to begin with, so that's not really surpri- surprising um, until that production gets really full back in. Roland, who knows when that's going to come out? Uh, the Karate Kid movie reboot, something or other that that's coming out. Um, this was supposed to be out next summer. Has been pushed from June 2024 to December 2024. And uh, the Ghostbusters requel sequel to Ghostbusters <laughs> Afterlife. I should be put. I should be jailed for that sentence. Um, yeah. This was supposed to come out. Uh, it's supposed to be a Christmas release. Has been now moved to March 29th, 2024. So that's five. In addition to, to the three last week, um, so we're looking at five delays so far. Uh, it's not looking good. Boy, uh, the studios have got to start. They, they got to come to the table and talk to these people. I was just reading an article earlier about uh, guys who were crew, like a, like a gaffer or a grip. They're like just getting killed at their bills. They're literally just letting them go into, into delay because they can't find work because nothing's going on in the industry right now. Um, Writers and actors striking doesn't just hurt like the studios. It hurts the people who are cursory to the studios. It hurts the people at home. It hurts theaters. I saw a thing not that long ago about uh, the, the CEO of AMC is trying to get studios to kind of go talk to these people. Like, hey, like we're <laughs> this is going to be hurting our business soon, you know? Uh, and the funny thing is a lot of these studios own streaming services and they can not make money on those because those are all taking a cut. I don't really get the strategy here. Uh, but, but what seems to be obvious is films are going to start getting delayed. 
delayed because studios are going to have to start pacing themselves with what they have available or what they will have available or what they haven't shot yet and still have to get crew for that they can't get because the writers and actors are on strike. And this whole bogus thing that they're just going to like wait people out. They're just going to wait till, I don't know, people lose their homes and then come back for a penance doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the industry. It doesn't help good creative. It doesn't help good art. It doesn't help good film. I'm very disappointed in what I feel like uh, the, the big studios are doing with this Disney Universal Paramount. Um, there needs to be a pivot. And this is one of the big markers for that, that, hey, projects are officially getting pushed. Money is officially getting moved around. So I don't know. Andy, any chance you think they're going to come to the table soon? Are we looking at this for another few months? Where do you think this is headed? So a few things that I've read is that uh, earnings call, I think, for Disney come August 8th. Um, They're going to see how that turns out. They're probably going to be able to ride... Well, I I was going to say ride the suburb movies, but Disney's been getting demolished at the box office, so that's probably not going to be real great. And But they probably won't really feel the effects until the next next quarter. Um, The longest... If this goes into October, it will be the longest that the strike has, has ever gone on. Um, we'll see. I, I think the actors and writers are prepared to go the distance because it's not. I mean, it, uh, they're the ones who who really have to change the industry. The the stu- big studios are never going to change without being put, you know, to the fire. It seems like it, and and this has happened before historically. Like actors and writers have been unionized for reasons just like this for getting exploited for pay and resources. And they'll go on strike and studios will him and haw and eventually come around and, you know, find a compromise. They're not going to give them everything they want. You're going to get close to it. Like, it's not like taking a hard L here, but I don't know. It seems like they just don't want to play ball. Um, I hope something changes soon. Spider-Verse is the big one here. I've, I've seen Spider-Verse, you know, with a big ad on, on the Spider-Verse screenshots, the ones getting linked for these stories. But like Andy said, that one was shaky anyway. Like Sony had said May 2024, I think was what it was going to be. And people who worked on the second film that just came out are like, there's no way. Like that's not happening. Haley Steinfeld said she hadn't even recorded VO for it. Like, so that, that one's kind of a pipe dream anyway. Um, but Craven the Hunter, like I think I saw an ad for that in front of Barbie. Like yeah. that's getting fully nearly it's, a year. It's, like it's good God, the, it's the new could be the new Morbius where we have to watch the trailer for another year. Right. Yeah. I already saw people complaining about having to watch the Gran Turismo trailer for another two weeks, which is really <laughs> funny. Um, that one's baffling because that's based on a true story. Like, why not just get the actual kid to promote it? Right. You can't get the actors, but you can get the guy it's based on, uh, you know, whatever. I, I obviously, I don't know how all this stuff works. But what I do know is, uh, these strikes ain't helping anybody. So somebody needs to step up and I don't know if it should be the people who've been sweating outside for three months. You know, maybe it should be, uh, the, the studio heads in the cushy mansions, the you big know, bucks. I, I bet you the, the Gran Turismo kid is probably makes like a cameo in the movie. And so he's probably like officially an actor and that's why he can't oh my god it. that would be hilarious right he's got an acting credit in there so technically they've they've trounced themselves you're probably right it's like jordan belfort shown at the end of wolf of wall street anyway uh one more story to get to this week uh from the box office we got to talk about these numbers uh haunted mansion turns out to be a fat dud wah wah <laughs> And Barbie is still killing it, right? I, 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 I get. I would say I can't believe it, but after seeing how it did in week one, I certainly can. Uh, what do you think, Andy? So huge, huge weekend, second weekend for both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbie made ninety three million in its second weekend. 
Oppenheimer made 46 million, both only a drop of about 40%. Uh, to put that in, in per- perspective, most movies have like a 55 to 60 or more percent drop off in that second week. That first week is the big thing. So they've had just a slight drop off, huge amount of money. Barbie recently passed, uh, actually today passed 800 million globally, well on its way to the Barbillion Dollar Club. Uh, probably by the end of this week, or definitely the the weekend for sure, and of course Disney's Haunted Mansion, which we can't come up with a good pun for, um, <laughs> floundered at about twenty five million. It was expected to make about thirty million, but it it was a very expensive one hundred fifty million dollar movie, tons of VFX. Uh, it's a flop officially. So rough weekend for Disney again. <laughs> It's so interesting to me that Haunted Mansion is a flop because it's one of those things that like on paper, if you step back and simply look at returns, it's doing great. Uh, Talk to Me just came out uh, this week. We're just about to talk about it after this story. Uh, And that movie's made in a budget of like $4.5 million, right? Micro budget functionally uh, as as far as what else is out there today. Uh, And it turned out 10 million opening weekend. It's already already doing great right it's still got a bit more to go before it clears marketing but they're gonna get there meanwhile like haunted mansion comes out and makes 24.2 million dollars opening weekend holy god that's great return right like that's not bad problem is haunted mansion costs 150 million dollars and then the marketing for haunted mansion was another 100 million like what are they doing how are you spending 250 million dollars to make and market a film and it's not turning out numbers like barbie like it's becoming increasingly obvious the theater goes only want to go to the theater for things that are genuinely going to impress or are going to be something new and innovative and something they haven't seen before. And Disney has this ridiculous like reiteration policy where they're just going to keep making the same old thing over and over again. And not only is that not going to put put butts in seats, it's not going to buy tickets at your theme park that is built on movies that are original and new. Like it's really odd and and they need to pivot and they got to do something and Haunted Mansion again on paper did fine for an opening movie but like the the budget is outrageous. They got to start reining this in. That comes from good pre-production. That comes from not burning VFX studios and it comes from, you know, making good movies. And by the way, also I should say while I'm sitting here dunking on Haunted Mansion, uh, I did kind of like it, so I'm going <laughs> to talk about it at the end, end of the show, because it's not bad. It really isn't. It is not a bad film. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Uh, anything else before we jump to talk to me, Andy? Well, I wanted to mention that Talk To Me made uh, about $10 million in its opening uh, weekend. Uh, again, this is a story about budget. This is a successful launch for this small film, because it only costs $4.5 million to make. So they're already well in, into profit territory. It's probably going to have another good weekend uh, this weekend is as well. Might have sometimes horror ha- has legs. Um, so it it's a hit by indie indie standards because of a reasonable budget. Ooh, one more story from the box office this week while I'm thinking about it. Uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, came out uh, towards the beginning of July. Dead box uh, office. Got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, now, kind of got flattened uh, by Barbenheimer. I, right now, it's coming through at a total of about uh, $448 million global, which is definitely not bad. Just like Haunted Mansion's Return, that is not a bad number. But for Mission Impossible, it's not great. And uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. Uh, Andy, you want to revisit that at all? Because I have a new, I have a new theory as to why it's not doing that well. Because typically, Mission Impossible movies do fine. Uh, so a lot of factors here. Number one, it's crushed between several big properties. It came out about a week after 
Indiana Jones 5, and then uh, it came out right before Bar- Barbie and uh, Barbenheimer, and also it lost all its premium screens, all its IMAX screens to Oppenheimer, and so uh, it, it doesn't have the footprint it, it did. And also it's just a, it's a little lackluster. I think it really is running into a problem of like streaming availability. There's so many streaming services out there now that people can sub to for less than the cost of one movie ticket for a whole month's worth of content. And when you start to get into deep sequels, right, like Fast X or Transformers 8 or Mission Impossible 7, even the bigger franchises, I think, are hurt the most by by that sensation of like streaming availability because a lot of people feel like, you know what, I'll just wait for it to come to streaming, right? It's the seventh Mission Impossible movie what am i going to miss there but then barbie or oppenheimer comes out and it feels new and original and gains like cultural value in the cultural zeitgeist because you know it's something different and people want to see that uh not that mission impossible 7 isn't different we covered it god just last week no a couple weeks ago i take it back because we had barbenheimer so you can go back and check out our review on that but for now move into reviews very excited to talk about this one we've been looking forward to this all year andy's gonna take the summary on it andy please take it away Talk to me. So, Zach, feel free to correct, correct anything that I get wrong here. Uh, Talk to me is the latest film from new directors, Danny and Michael Philip, who, who blew up on YouTube. They're big YouTube creators under the Raka Raka channel. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so this is the, their first feature film uh, out of New, new, Ze- new Zealand, and it's a uh, kind of teen horror Thing that we saw a trailer looked really scary and uh, the story is we we meet a character named mia played by sophie wilde uh mia has recently uh had a death in the family her home life is a little rough she spends a lot of time at her friend's house um jade and uh her, her little brother riley and daniel they'll live in this house she's good friends with the mom played by miranda otto um they they're all in high school they go to a party uh one day you know where all the cool kids are and uh the cool kids have somehow gotten a hold of this mummified hand that says uh hey if you grab it and say talk to me some spirits will kind of come in you'll you'll be possessed for a little bit but uh you can only hang on for 90 seconds because otherwise quote they'll want to stay uh, so naturally, the teens do what they should. They shouldn't. They they play with fire, and eventually, they can't kind of get the spirits to leave, and a lot of things begin uh, to go wrong. And that's that's our our setup. This movie is really pretty scary. A, a lot a lot of good original horror. And great to see Zach. What do you think? Talk to me is uh, the highest rated horror film of the year, which is crazy. Uh, we've seen nothing but good reviews uh, from early critics who have seen it. Uh, so naturally, we were really excited to check it out. And I can say pretty satisfyingly, Talk to Me feels like a smart amalgamation of a lot of what works in cinema brought together uh, with a new voice, right? With somebody we haven't really seen before, or I should say a couple of people, uh, Danny and Michael Philippa. Uh I think Talk to Me is like uniquely special, uh, although I will admit I, I think it is a little smaller than a lot of the hype leads you to be. If you walk into this movie thinking it's going to be like the biggest, grandest thing, remember, $4.5 million budget. 
<laughs> you're not you're not getting anything really huge. But what you're getting is something like uniquely intimate and refreshing that you don't have to have seen a, a sequel for or a prequel for. There's no homework required. You can walk straight in to talk to me and see something that feels very trendy and very modern and very aware of the audience it's serving. Uh, the Philippos are, are surprisingly modern. Everybody's got a cell phone. Every teenager is filming things and posting them at all times. Um, it creates an environment and a setting where I think <laughs> this kind of horror can uniquely thrive because it doesn't feel as unnatural, I think, as maybe it actually is. Uh, talk to me is really cool, and I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, where do we start? Oh, why don't we start with our cast? So these are all, uh, I think, Aussie or or Kiwi actors um, from New Zealand. A newcomer, Sophie Wilde, leads the, the project. Like I said, she's got some things going on at home recently experienced a, a death in the family uh she and she's the one you know when, when these people grab the hand they're kind of inviting kind of a random spirit spirit to kind of possess them for a little bit but when she does it uh she kind of hears people close to her, her family it kind of hits a little bit too close to home and so she wants to keep doing it she's like i gotta you know i, I got i want to hear their voice again i want to reach out um so it's one of those things uh, too much of a good thing. It's like I I heard the voice of my uh, deceased family member. I want to get uh, more of that. She so she has a lot of possession scenes. A lot of people get possessed in this, uh, but I th- I think kind of what works is that it's not like The Exorcist where someone's like possessed full time. It's just kind of in little spurts. It makes it a little bit easier to kind of uh, handle. Um, uh, other standouts are the uh, like I said the, her friend Jade. And uh, she has a boyfriend named Dan. All these people kind of touch the hand and, and experience it uh, a little bit. But really interesting cast. Yeah, uh, lots of fun. All these kids, most of them feel like newcomers to me, at least. Uh, especially mentioned for Zoe Tarakas and Chris Alosio for Haley and Joss, the two two kind of wardens of the hand. Uh, they are <laughs> phenomenally charming. Oh my god, kind of kind of the seedy uh, younger character, and this like big buff dude who's responsible for like ripping the hand away from people if they're hanging on for it to too long. Uh, I love this like haunted artifact of the hand. It's cool looking. It's interesting. And much like a Jumanji board, like you don't really know the rules going in. So all these kids are playing with it like, oh, it's like fun and weird and twisted, but it makes you feel good. Like in these like insane moments where you're like seizing and your eyes turn black uh, and, and nobody can determine if it's real or not. Right. And like that feeling of like skepticism that like number one this thing cannot actually be what people claim and number two uh the sensation of grief that our lead carries mia uh uh, both like pull her into trying the hand right i just want to try it for a second just just to see how it feels and in that way talk to me shapes this device as functionally like a metaphor for like drugs right there's even a, there's a great party montage where they're all playing with it and the music's mm. going and they're having a great time and like you could swap the hand out for like crack <laughs> or, or a bong or something yeah, and it would drinking. functionally be the same scene like it's great like all these kids like are, are delighted by like the horror of this thing because they feel like oh they can control it and they understand it and they have rules right and and much like flatliners like eventually somebody takes it a little too far or gets tricked or, or something turns on its head and the monkey paw curls and you end up with like this horrifying scenario that these characters just cannot get out of to save their lives uh I love it. Like great setup, great first act, uh, really catapults you into like what's possible. 
Right. Uh, I wanted to get into our, our plot a, a little bit. Like, like we said, we have the hand. It temporarily possesses people. Eventually, it kind of goes on longer, and it seems to be where the, the kind of visions or possession kind of begin to take place even without uh, without the hand. Um, and we, we start to lose, have a lot of these things of like, well, what's real and what's not. It, it's, it, it doesn't overdo that, which which would be a misstep if it did. It's just enough to um, kind of keep things creepy. But there there's a couple of subplots going on between, you know, Sophie's, uh, no, sorry, Mia's life at home, along with uh, some, dr- you know, interteen drama, some love triangle Effect. So, so we kind of touch on on there. I I think what I would have liked to have seen is just you know this on like a ten to fifteen million dollar budget. You, you could have had a classic. Get a few more passes at the at the script. Really nail it down. Make it tighter. Get into some more of the lore. It it's like it does a good job with all these things. But it's like man, you you could have really had something with maybe a little bit more time and budget. Yeah, I, I think it. Like I said, it. it I think people are walking in maybe with expectations a little too high, a little, a little like Skinamarink, like that got a lot of buzz early and a lot of people were like, man, this movie's freaky. And then you walk in, you're like, oh, it's definitely simpler than I thought. And that's like, I think not a bad feeling to, to walk in to talk to me with like, don't, 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 don't get too excited. But like what's here is a really, really great uh, first step into what's next. Uh, the filmmaking here, I think I want to mention a couple things. Uh, number one, a lot of really smooth camera work. Like lots of like not that much handheld, surprisingly. A lot of like really, really good like camera on a tripod pans, like slow, mo- slow movement. Makes your camera feel a little out of place with your characters and makes you feel like you've got a bit of a... I don't know, like they're on a different plane than you. And like, I don't think that's a bad thing. David Fincher does it a lot. Uh, A lot of really good whip pans. Uh, When a kid gets possessed, they whip their head back and the camera yanks back with them. That's good stuff. Chair goes flying across the room, screams over there with it. Like a lot of fast kinetic motion uh, that makes sharp events feel sharper. And then lastly... Um, really good set design. There's a couple of great transitions like into or out of a dream sequence uh, or into an hour out of a possession scene when our character will be standing, your camera will kind of pan around them and in one smooth take, like the background will shift around them and when the camera pulls all the way around, they're in a different scene or one, one character goes from laying down horizontal to being vertical in one smooth camera movement. Like a lot of really effective tricks i think that comes out of uh, the director's youtube experience over on the raka raka channel um really impressive like like subtle but like cheap practical filmmaking and it, it pays dividends in this movie like it's, it's great effects right it's taking the art of cinematography and seeing what can we do on the, this small budget to, to really make this creepy and interesting and that's a good time to, to talk about the the scares um we have a lot of body horror in this. There's a fair amount of, of gore. There's not. It doesn't rely on um, ju- a bunch of jump scares. There, there's a couple, but that's not what what creeps this movie out. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's like disturbing and is going to scare you is not going to jump out. It's gonna a lot. Of, it's the opposite. It's a lot of very slow, creepy things, or just just like disturbing bo- body horror. That uh, I was shocked at several moments. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> it's going going there. So. It, it has a lot of good scares. Yeah, uh, like lots of tangible sensations, I think, in your theater. And also not a bad runtime. I think it's a tight, what, like 94 minutes? Um, 
95 looking at IMDb. If it was any longer, I think it might have overstayed its welcome. Like it manages to tell a unique story that feels like it pays tribute to other haunted artifact films, right? Or possession films of your, uh, particularly reminded of like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, Hellraiser a little bit. Um, I like this. I don't know. I, I like the energy of what's happening here, and and I think it's uniquely special. I don't know what these two directors are doing next. I'd read somewhere they might be doing a Street Fighter movie. Um, that's not listed on IMDb, the number one source for all things film. So I, I don't know if that's true, but I hope they stay in this space because <laughs> this is a really great start to something bigger. I, I think. Like I, I I think it's. Oh, one more thing I wanted to talk about. Oh, my God. I can't believe I talked about this. The modern stuff, the phones, right? Like, any any movie worth its salt right. nowadays has got to have people with phones. And in that way, like, uh, Talk to Me embraces a similar place to where, like, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was that we saw earlier this year. Uh, every teenager has a cell phone, and they're all on Instagram, and they're all on Snapchat, and they're posting all the time. And I love it. I love that your characters are never like, oh, no, the power is out, and we can't use the landline. Um, your characters are never drawn to call for, called for it. Your, your characters aren't often drawn to call for help because they feel as if they can tackle it themselves or they're too much in a panic and don't need it. Like it's filmmaking for filmmaking's sake. You don't have to write around why characters aren't using the technology available to them. You need to write in why they're using the, what's there. And it's done to great effect. These these two are young and they know it and they talk to a young audience. Like feels refreshing, feels nice in a movie theater. It's certainly not the Pope's Exorcist. Yeah, they like when when they first see the hand being used. Me is actually me and Jade see it on Instagram online. They're like because someone else is posting videos of like, haha, look how possessed they are, and they're and everyone's skeptical. They're like, no, that's not real. Let's go check this this thing out. So it's a very smart way. And again, there's no like, oh, I don't have any service out here. Oh, I'm out in the middle. Like there are times when you can use it and that's effective. But this this film takes place in the modern day in the city. That's never an excuse, and and it's interesting to write with that. Yeah. Overall, I think I was really pleased with Talk to Me, and I don't want to say much more without spoiling anything. Andy, anything else before uh, reviews? I just wanted to mention that, that, that it's always exciting when you see a new kind of hyped up film from new directors and that it, uh, you know, it, it delivers that it's not a, a letdown, and because that that's almost more exciting than when I hear, you know, Tarantino doing his 10th film, and I'm like I'm much more excited about young new new talent that really brings the heat than sometimes a lot of more established directors. Yeah, hot same. Uh, would you recommend Talk to Me? Absolutely would for uh, fans of the horror genre. Again, horror not your thing. Probably not. This is one to skip. Uh, maybe Haunted Mansion is more of your <laughs> up your scary alley. Uh, a lot of bo- body horror and other kind of disturbing things. Uh, but I, I was generally creeped out, generally sca- scared in a number uh, of places. It, it touches on some interesting themes, themes of loneliness and ki- kind of uh, just aloneness and or being touch starved, um, which I didn't, didn't expect. Uh, great, great performances from this uh, Australian and uh, New Zealand cast. Uh, highly recommend for horror fans. Uh, same. Talk to me is great. You should totally go see it. Uh, if you are a horror fan, please go see this movie. Um, go see something that's not just a Bloomhouse production, right? Go see something that's not Insidious 5, The Red Door. 
Um, go see something fresh, go see something new, support new voices in cinema. Talk to me is good stuff. Please go see Talk to Me. <laughs> Talk to me is great. And you may not come off as, as as shiny as we have. I know I've seen some people who are like, that wasn't what I expected. But like, God, isn't that nice every once in a while? Feels good, doesn't it? Like to watch something that's just a little different. I think it is. So yeah, like highly recommend Talk to Me. See it in a, see it in a theater if you can. If not... Uh, I'm probably going to be on Paramount Plus, I think. Like, they seem to have a deal with Showtime, so this is an A24 feature. I'll bet it shows up over there, but we'll have to see where it shows up on streaming. Keep an eye out for Talk To Me. In the meantime, uh, go check it out. Next up on the show, normally we do uh, a bit of a seg- segment in the middle here, right? Something fun. We talk about trailers that are coming up. We talk about what's killing cinema, the, the, the strike we talked about last week. We've talked about Disney in the past. Uh, but this week we're doing three reviews. So without further ado, i got to move into it, and I'm taking the summary. Uh, the movie is They Clone Tyrone. They Clone Tyrone is a new uh, science fiction comedy, dramedy, black exploitation film on Netflix. This came out a few weeks ago, and Andy and I missed it because July has been wall-to-wall movies. It has been wild. Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, uh, Barbenheimer, good lord, uh, talk to me. But now uh, we've watched... They Clone Tyrone. And I'm glad we did because there's something really special uh, going on here. Uh, They Clone Tyrone is the story of Fontaine, played by John Boyega, who I have not seen in a minute. I'm glad he's doing fresh stuff. Glad he's at it. Uh, He plays Fontaine, a drug dealer in what I think is Chicago. They call it the Glen. I never really placed where exactly they are, but... uh, Anyway, uh, uh, an area of town that is not particularly nice, right? (laughs) Fontaine is a drug dealer who's going around collecting his cash one night when he swings by uh, local pimp Slick Charles' place, uh, played brilliantly (laughs) by Jamie Foxx. Slick Charles is great. Excited to talk about him. Uh, He also runs into uh, Tiana Paris as Yo-Yo, a local lady of the night, I think I can say on iTunes and get away with. Uh, (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, something goes wrong. Uh, and Fontaine ends up on the bad end of a drug deal gone bad. But he wakes up in bed the next morning, to his surprise. Uh, everything seems fine, but not everything is fine. Something did happen to Fontaine, uh, and he heads back to Slick Charles' place, meets Yo-Yo, and the three of them uh, begin to unravel a trail of breadcrumbs that turns into a bonkers conspiracy <laughs> involving uh, many things, uh, but most importantly, as is described in the title, Clones. Uh, They Clone Tyrone is about two hours long. It's available on Netflix right now. I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, what do you think? Uh, It took me a little bit to get into this movie. I I wasn't real sure where it was going. I do love the style of it, uh, because again, it's in that exploitation style. Very heavy film grain, uh, you got characters like Jamie Foxx's uh, Slick Charles, Slick Charles. Who's, who's hilarious because he he dresses and acts like a, a pimp out of a seventies black exploitation movie. He's the kind of the only one who does. Everyone else is in you know it takes place in in the modern day. At first, I thought it was like a period piece, but you know John Boyega shows up has has a cell phone and it's uh, he and they they talk about like blockchain and modern things. Um, so Jamie Foxx is the only one in that mode, but it's. Uh, kind of the the street drama, but it's a mix of something like Str- Stranger Things actually came came to mind in a lot of ways. There's kind of secret experimentation going on in the community, wh- which echoes uh kind of o- old and long held uh kind of conspiracy theory that the CIA planted 
drugs and guns in black neighborhoods to de- destabilize and other, other things like that. And this is kind of taking that idea and doing a, a more kind of sci-fi twist on it where it's like there's scientific experimentation, there's secret labs are around town, and uh, this is kind of done for a number of nefarious reasons. And, you know, th- a lot of it has to do with mind control through substances kind of put into the, the community, things like hair products, drinks, music, uh, that, that sort of thing. Uh, Boyega is playing a uniquely new character here. I definitely thought that he was kind of just going to be playing like his attack the block character, right? Like kind of gangster on the street, but this is American for sure. And Fontaine's hard, man. Like he's got gold grills and he doesn't take no shit from anybody. Like <laughs> he collects money, uh, and he, he's, he's got the strap to back it up. Meanwhile, like Jamie Foxx's Slick Charles is like a Chappelle so sketch. He's so funny, dude. Like it's so great. He keeps talking about how he won like like the 1994 Pimp of the Year Award, and people need to put more respect on the name. And meanwhile, yeah, he looks like he fell right out of the 70s. He's great. Love Slick Charles. I hope Fox recovers, man. I know he posted an Instagram video saying he's doing all right. Um, I hope so, because uh, he's great in this movie. Like, great reminder just how funny Jamie Foxx is. And Tiana Paris, Tiana Paris, like, I think you might watch her in this movie and forget that she's like Monica Rambo in the Marvels. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. I, I was like, where is she from? I, I forgot. Yeah, it. no, yeah. I, I looked her up after. I was like, oh, my God. Like, she's great. She's got, like, a ton of talent. She's really funny. And one of the things I think uh, really gives these three the opportunity to shine is surprisingly long takes in some of their longer sequences. Uh, the film's directed by Jewel Taylor, who's a first-time... Uh, he's not a first-time director, is he? He might be a first-time director. I might be out here talking smack. No, 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 no. He's he's done a couple TV series. His first like film proper uh, that he's put together, uh, and of course it goes straight to Netflix. But hey, that's not to say it's not good stuff. There's a lot of style here, a lot of film grain, and and these long takes I mentioned are in some of the film's like most tenuous moments. There's a whole sequence where Tiana Paris like hits on this manager of a local restaurant and is trying to get information from him on whether or not he's like a spy or a bad dude. And it's all one like four and a half minute sequence with like choreography, camera moving in and out of rooms, adjusting focus the entire time. Uh, John Boyega's Fontaine has a couple of sequences that are the same way, like sitting down, standing up, gets in a car, drives down the road, gets out. I'm just like, oh, my God, like, look at this, like seamless transitions, like really, really some talent that you don't see every day. Uh, A surprising, surprisingly fresh new voice uh, that made, I think, uh, what could have been a lackluster script, like a bit more exciting. Yeah, it, it definitely has a lot of style and a lot of um, kind of swagger through, which help, helps move it along. It's a little bit too long at a full two hours. This would have been a great 100-minute uh, flick. It kind of gets bogged down in, in the middle, I felt. Kiefer Sutherland shows up kind of randomly. Um, <laughs> I didn't recognize him. It was a surprise. Me neither. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, it was a surprise. Which this is like part of what Netflix does. Like They spend a lot of money on stars, Um and then d- don't let the script get polished uh, enough. And some of this like looks cheap when they're in the in down of these secret labs. Uh, I, again, it, it looks like a, a, the end, the inside of a laser tag center or or something of that. It's not quite uh, convincing enough. Uh, this is something where they did, definitely didn't get the Stranger Things budget for the uh, the lab re- uh, recreation. Um, no, but I appreciate your your Stranger Things mention because it does have that feeling of like retro tech. Right. Yeah. Like the things in there all look like they were made in the 50s and the 60s. 
even though this film is like clearly set modern day, it's got this feeling of like go the the golden age of science that like Stranger Things leans way into. So like yeah, that that's that's totally a good call. Mm. Uh, um, I go ahead. What do you think of our performances? I like the performances. Like I said, I, I think Boyega was really sharp. Like I I I like that he isn't. Yeah, he hardly ever cracks a joke in this movie, right? Like, uh, which is really refreshing. Like, he's not just like charming, charismatic John Boyega. He's like struggle, troubled, and struggling, you know. And I think that's good stuff. Charles, Slick Charles is great. Tana Paris is really funny. Kiefer Sutherland was a bit of a surprise, but you know what? If you're gonna show up halfway through a movie, why not be a surprise? I, I don't think that's a bad thing. How about you? Sorry, say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. It cut out. Cut out for a second. You, yeah. What do you think, everybody in it? Um, it, I think Jamie Fox is he's he's just scene stealing, man. He's so funny in this. He's good. Um, I I wish we kind of had got to know our actors a little bit more. Um, just kind of more three dimensional. They're they're kind of caricatures in a way, and we don't really get a whole lot of like character development within our even our main character. Um, Tiana Paris is, is again all, also funny. She's while being a uh, <laughs> lady of of the night, she's also yep. very smart and also like she has these dreams of like being a journalist. And she like has all the Nancy Drew books at home, and she's like all about being a detective and figuring out what this like secret experimentation uh, is all about. So so she's a lot of fun. We we have a good central class cast, and John Boyega plays Fontaine with this real serious. I mean, he's a real serious street guy. He's not having. He's not joking around uh, with with anyone. Uh, I just wish they their characters had been fleshed out a little bit more. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I like the way this film kind of spoofs the spaces it's coming from. Feels very self aware. Uh, not not only in the dialogue and the comedy, but also like in its general presentation. Andy mentioned the film grain, and that can't be understated. It is phenomenally dense film grain. Probably too dense, at least in the early bits. Like I, I was genuinely like off put by some, by, by the way, some of it looks, but once you start getting into the feature and you start getting into like, you know, the, the evening when things are going down, it's darker. You don't really notice it as much. Then you get into some kind of kooky sci-fi lighting that this really pretty, like pink purple kind of lighting for all these sci-fi segments that actually comes off looking really good. I think with it, um, you know, it's, it's a tribute to what came before, not only like sci-fi movies, but black exploitation films, right? Things like, uh boy, I wish I had some of those on hand before I just walked. I mean, right I, into I mean, that. like uh, like coffee. I'm gonna get you sucker. Like sure, it reminded me of Spike Jones films. Reminded me also of uh, Boots Riley, who I think Jewel Taylor is likely a fan of, if they're not like cool or anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Boots Riley recently did uh, I'm a Virgo on Check. Amazon short series, but more importantly, did Sorry to Bother You, uh, starring Lakeith Stanfield, who's in Haunted Mansion this week. Uh, that movie we covered on the show also uniquely like sci-fi spin black exploitation cinema, uh, and it's really clever, and also goes to kooky places I think. But I think that one just has a bit more style to it. This one's really good, really solid start. Uh, I want to see what Jewel Taylor does next, um, and I appreciate the Netflix like greenlit this one because so often Netflix will greenlight a feature that's just kind of mid, and this one feels better than that and I'm, I'm really pleased to say that at least for me yeah it, it's better than your average average netflix film um it's a good first outing i mean he's he's directed some things uh before and he and he's most of his credits are actually writing he wrote the screenplay to creed 2 space jam legacy uh, uh, yes. n- n- uh but you know he, he's a seasoned hollywood 
director and, and writer, this is a good kind of more solo thing. I'd be excited to see what he does next. Any other thoughts for recommendations, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend They Clone Tyrone? Well, I'd say save it for streaming. It's already on streaming. It's definitely something you can you can enjoy. Uh, you know, it's a little bit long at at a full two hours, but uh, it's a fun. It is a fun time. We get a lot, a lot of great one liners with uh, Jamie Fox. We get again. It's shot in that um, black exploitation style. I actually wish that I could have seen this in a, in a theater because, like, a lot of the lights and and lighting and things like that would have looked great in a bit in the, on the big screen in a dark room. So, uh, yeah, I would say save it for streaming. Couldn't agree more about the theater point. Uh, I do wish I had been able to see this in a theater as well. I think it would look a lot better. That being said, solid. I think they clone Tyrone's, Tyrone's good stuff. You should totally check it out. It's a little odd, a little kooky. And, and unfortunately, like Andy said, it's a little long in the tooth, man. This should have been about a 90-minute movie. The two hours hurts it a little. Um, but it's still good stuff. It is some of the better stuff that Netflix has put out recently. You should totally check out they clone Tyrone. I'm glad we covered it. And with that, we got one more movie to cover, which is nuts. Like I said at the top, we didn't plan on doing this one. I saw it just last night, so I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. Please excuse uh, my clumsy delivery. The movie is uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion. So Haunted Mansion is an odd movie because it is an amusement park converted to film movie. Uh, amusement park ride, I should say. Much like Pirates of the Caribbean or 2003's Haunted Mansion starring Eddie Murphy, uh, Haunted Mansion 2023 is the story of a haunted abode, a hovel, if you will, or at least a large house in uh, New Orleans uh, where Lakeith Stanfield is a young, uh, depressed ghost tour guide <laughs> who <laughs> really does guy. not like giving ghost tours and does not not like talking to people uh, the film actually opens and closes with him functionally it's Lakeith Stanfield's movie you wouldn't know it looking at the looking at the trailers it looks a lot more like it's uh Rosaria Dawson's film with her son uh, who are the residents of the mansion uh they call Lakeith they need help uh, uh, uh unhaunting their mansion what I'm trying to say exercise I'm not even really mm -hmm. sure they need to figure something out because they move into this mansion from out of town and it is horribly haunted with 999 souls right and they're looking for just one more just like the ride at disney world in disneyland uh lakeith comes uh and 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 then they need a priest and then they need a professor and then they need a, 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 a spiritualist and they end up getting together this kind of scooby-doo gang of characters uh you've got rosario dawson playing the mother owen wilson playing father kent uh, a priest tiffany haddish playing Harriet, uh, who's a medium. Keith Stanfield, of course, is our skeptical ghost hunter. And Danny DeVito plays uh, Bruce Davis, this really kooky, like, professor of spirituality or something who kind of shows up and just does the DeVito gag. Uh, a few other exciting characters mentioned. Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, gosh, Dan Levy is in ads. He is barely in the film, which is really baffling. I don't know if they cut his scenes. And there's a couple others that I'll just leave. I, I could mention, but I think they're more fun. There are a couple good cameos that show up in the movie. Uh, the movie is Haunted Mansion. Normally here is where I'd ask Andy what he thinks, but he hasn't seen it. So Andy, what I'm going to ask you is, uh, you predicted this was going to be a flop. You 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 you, you nailed Finger this a couple pole. weeks ago. You're like, I think Haunted Mansion's not going to do that good. So while I catch my breath here, can you tell people why uh, and then what actually happened? 
So it's been a crowded summer, and there's just been, I mean, too many movies. And, you know, May was good because we had Guardians of the Galaxy released at the beginning of May, and then there were, I think, three weeks until the next big movie, which was Fast X. So that gives time for a big hit like Guardians 3. It gives it a couple of weeks for everyone to go see that, and then audiences are fresh for the next one. But there's been so many big movies all during July, and... This is coming a week after Barbenheimer. Biggest weekend at the movies this year. Probably going to be the biggest of the year at all. Uh, and you're not, you came out a week after. And no matter how good or bad those movies were, you were always just going to have a lot of competition. And yes, it is counter-programming. Like it's it's a movie for younger audiences. Uh, but it, it was, it was going to have stiff competition. And it also, it's a Halloween movie coming out in July and it just looks very silly and very kitty. Like I said, there's movies for kids and movies for babies. To me, this looked a little bit like movies for babies. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned Halloween movie because this movie definitely takes place around Halloween. There, there's actually a Halloween party in the film at one point. <laughs> um, it's very obvious. This is an October feature and, and I want to talk about Disney putting it out in July a little later towards the end of the review for now. I want to dig into the meat here. Uh, what's going on. First off uh, our setting, we got to talk about the mansion, right? Cause that's what it's based on. It's based on the amusement park ride, the haunted mansion, which was a hit at Disneyland. So they made it at Disney world. Now they've got it here. It's got a ton of the stuff from the mansion that you know and love. If you've seen the 2003 feature starring Eddie Murphy, It'll even have things like that were in that movie, right? It's the same kind of lore. You got Madame Leota and the crystal, the head and the crystal ball. You got the the the, the axe wielding uh, murderous bride ghost up in the attic. You got the nine hundred ninety nine haunts. You got the graveyard outside. You got the hat box ghost. If you're a Disney fan, you're going to have pretty much everything you'd want from the ride. And I can say satisfyingly that the mansion is a lot of CGI. I'll admit. Right, Disney's Disney's kind of got that problem. They shoot a lot of stuff on green screen and put it together at the end. But for the most part, I like the look of it. It's a lot of dust. It's a lot of cobwebs. It's a lot of unique wallpapers, weird paintings, lots of props, lots of sets. I think that stuff's strong. Like, I think that's something I've railed on Disney in the past for not doing. Like, they just shoot things like Ant-Man, which is just all green screen. Like, this doesn't go that far. And the green screen stuff is a bit clumsy, but fundamentally, they're aiming at kids here, right? Like, you're aiming at an eight-year-old. And in that way, Haunted Mansion satisfyingly, like, creates a space for your characters to hang out in that isn't too much and isn't too weird and fortunately f walks this line between spooky horror and like Scooby-Doo-esque <laughs> antics. I know I mentioned like the Scooby-Doo gang before, but it's really true. Uh, they mentioned Scooby-Doo at one point in the movie, like putting together the Scooby-Doo gang. And uh, you you have like outright Scooby-Doo gags, right? Like, like Axe falls on the floor and lands right in between a character's legs. Or Owen Wilson at one point is running away from a bunch of ghosts and they're doing like the Shaggy and Scooby door gag where they're like running in and out of one door and coming out another and the other group comes out this way. Like it, it, it is, it is much like the ride in the spirit of that. It, it, it's spooky for sure. And there's, there's a couple of decent jump scares for kids. Definitely. Um, but also it's like soft and, and there's not that much danger. And in that way, like I think they nailed the kid angle. Great. I think it, it feels like the spirit of the ride cause it's scary, but not that scary. Right? Like, you know, you're going to get out on the other end of it. Um, feels like a great release for October. The reason it's coming out in July uh, is because Disney did the math and they figured out that uh, putting it out in July in theaters and then launching on Disney Plus in October would make them more money than just 
putting it out in theaters in October, and then dropping it on Disney Plus in January. So that's the deal. They're doing this now so they can double dip in October and build ads that are like, come see the Haunted Mansion on only on Disney Plus, right? I don't know if it'll convert subs. I don't know if people can subscribe for this movie. But what I do know is, at least in presentation, uniquely scary for a kid's movie. Uh, solid, like, first horror outing, I think. Uh, also, you know, fun and, and soft-hearted. Uh, now... Uh, Andy, I want to ask you something so I can give myself a chance to break here. <laughs> Any questions for me? Give, give, give me a moment well, to collect my thoughts. Well, I, I wanted to say that um, this looks like a straight-to-Disney Plus kind of movie, and it's pro- probably felt in that thing where it's like, well, it probably needed to be cheaper if they were going to do that, and since they spent too much money, it had to come out in theaters. Um, but yeah, the, the this looks exactly like something you you would you might and you might subscriber it might help you keep subscribers uh for sure and yeah it'll it'll be perfect for october it's just it probably didn't need a theatrical release i saw a great reddit comment that said this is the most disney plus movie i've ever seen in a theater (laughs) um which like i kind of feel like is true and it's not because it's not theatrical i think it's big i think it's got good ideas uh it's because it just doesn't come together like a big theatrical feature would. And I think the reason that is is because of Disney meddling around in post-production. Justin Simeon, I think, shot a pretty good movie here. Like there's some there's some solid camera work, a uh, lot of lot of really interesting angles, like setups and teardowns. Like I can't imagine this was a short shoot schedule. Like they they had a lot of work going on in here. But the way it's put together in post has problems. There's scenes that don't quite lead into each other or a character will say something really odd that's like 80 yard in that makes it feel like, oh, they just stuck that in so this scene could work later. Like things are kind of spliced in. There's a little too much music and it starts to feel like some group board of directors or, or test audience watched this and thought this doesn't move fast enough. Tied it up move it along, but put add a scene in reshoots, we'll put this in here and then cut this scene over here and then we'll add this scene so this works. And it just feels like a, a really beautiful deck of cards that are just shuffled together in the wrong way. It doesn't feel like it's put together in the way it was shot. And I know Movies Have Problems could totally be on the back of director Justin Simeon, but we've seen movies like this from Disney recently. We've definitely seen it before. I had the exact same feeling about Peter Pan and Wendy, a David Lowry film uh, that was on on Disney+. Plus. That movie feels like it's solid in the middle, and somebody shot it full of holes before it came out because they wanted to make sure it hit every test audience and hit every age bracket and somehow was something that it wasn't supposed to be. And that's suppressing, I think what's really possible. Uh, I had no idea this was Lakeith Stanfield's movie from trailers. Like it, it really is shaped to be either your, 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 your cast film with, with all of them in there getting equal time, which they, everybody gets pretty good time or like mostly around Rosario, Rosario Dawson and her son, uh, Chase Dillon, who's actually really funny in the movie. Solid. Uh, but no, it opens and closes with Lakeith Stanfield. Like it is very much about him and his relationships. He is a he's a three dimensional character. He is he is functionally our charismatic lead, right? Uh, and and it's surprising that that's the angle it takes when you actually get into it, especially because Lakeith Stanfield puts a lot of the movie on his back. Man, he's really good, and he's got to work with a script and reshoots that like 
did not come together that great, and he does a great job. I loved him in Sorry to Bother You. I hope after the strike and this stuff comes out, he gets his pick of whatever he wants to do. He's great in this movie. He's, he's He might be too good for it. Owen Wilson is also really funny. I know he's doing kind of like the, he's kind of turned into like old dad Owen Wilson now, but like still really funny, right? Like still has the comedy chops. DeVito is a laugh a minute, man. DeVito's so great. Like if you if you're a Danny DeVito fan, if you if you watch Always Sunny, like you're gonna love him. Tiffany Haddish is really funny. Rosario Dawson gets a couple good lines off. A um, couple other quick mentions while I'm thinking about it. Really brilliant costuming. Really brilliant costuming. I, I know the costume director of Atlanta said that uh, he could put Lakeith Stanfield in anything and it would look good. It's true. You could put that man in anything and he'll look great in it. Uh, and it's used to great effect. Uh, the only one odd thing in the costuming is really bad wigs. Really bad <laughs> wigs. Rosario Dawson has a terrible wig and, and Tiffany Haddish has a, has a bad wig too. The thing is, Tiffany Haddish's is highly stylized because it's like this big like wrap that's like three foot tall. Is it so it CGI? comes off looking... No. <laughs> it's not, it's not, not CGI. It's a real wig. Rosario Dawson gets done dirty though and I don't get it because she is doing Ahsoka, right? And she's the lead on that. And like that's a whole thing. So I don't know if she had, had to have her hair cut for that and they just like here, put put this wig on. It's fine or, or what, but like does not quite work for the adult who cares about wigs. And one more mention, by the way, for director Justin Simeon, my man just got burned on the Lando series. I don't know if you guys saw that story, uh, but he was writing a Lando series for Disney Plus and Disney just took it away from him and handed it to Donald and Stephen Glover. Uh, solid win for them. Justin found out on Twitter he didn't even know he lost it. <laughs> and his movie came out this week and the studio was just like, yep, you're done. You're washed. You're cooked. You're not making this series anymore. Like that is bananas. Disney uh, seems to have no qualms about burning their creators. Uh, man, it's yeah, really something else. Anyway, I need to start wrapping up my thoughts on this one. Andy, any other, any other questions, concerns that you want to you hit me with a rapid fire? What are you, what are you thinking? I mean, so what are the th things that you think work and what what do you think doesn't work? Because it doesn't so seem like a, it's a bad movie. It's just kind of a, a bad release date. That's a good question. Uh, number one, the cast works. The cast works for sure. And number two, I, I genuinely think the visuals work great. Uh, if I was a kid, I would want to go to this mansion. I would be like, this is so cool. I would go to the parks and be like, oh my God, it's going to be just like the movie. Like in that way, mission accomplished. And I think that's because it's made by people who genuinely understand kind of the magic of what makes that ride cool. Like it's not just about like the kooky animatronics and it's not even really about the setting. It's about the sensation of like being a little spooked, you know, and Haunted Mansion doesn't shy away from that. Like that's good for kids. I, w I would genuinely say this is a good early starter into something like horror. If you have like a seven or eight year old, they're like, I, I want to start watching scary movies and they haven't seen this. I'd, I'd give them this because there's like six jump scares in it and they're all pretty good. And that's a good like starter for like, you know, the feeling of dread that comes over you and these ghosts start to come out after midnight. That stuff works. Um, the things that don't work, like I said, are one, the editing. It's just put together in a weird way. It's just like, there's just, there's lines that are 80 yard in. There's stuff that feels like it came from reshoots. People kind of waver on costumes in between stuff. It's it's weird, and I can't quite put my finger on why that is, but I think it's due to problems in post. I think just something didn't come together. They had to VFX stuff. Number two, VFX. The VFX are not always great. That's true. But like for a kid, shoot, man, like they're gonna be into it, right? Like that's firmly who this is aimed at. 
Uh, it's labeled PG-13. Um, I, I feel like it would probably go near something like Hocus Pocus or Halloween Town on Disney. Like, it, come Halloween, I'll probably throw on Haunted Mansion in the background. Like, it's genuinely not that bad. Number three, and this is something I wanted to save for the end, the product placement. We got to talk about oh. the product placement in this movie. I wrote a short list, which is good. I'll, I'll pull it up now. Of of services that are mentioned in the film, uh, we're going to start with uh, Zillow, CVS, Amazon, and Baskin Robbins, just off the top. Uh, services that are mentioned and seen physically include Yankee Candle and Burger King, and then Buzzweiser and Ford are both featured prominently in scenes, whether it be a car or a can or a Burger bottle, <laughs> all over the place. It is the weirdest thing. This movie cuts to a scene of Owen Wilson and 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 Lakeith Stanfield in the car, and Owen Wilson is eating Burger King with like onion rings and the bags facing perfectly out at the screen. And I'm like, this is a Disney feature. What is going on? What's going on is they need to make their money back. And some of those lines like are genuinely ADR in there. Like like Baskin Robbins isn't even set on screen. It's an ADR line, and I'm like. What is that? Like, did you guys know when this was coming together in post that you need to start making money back now? So you go hit your corporate sponsors and you're like, hey, we'll get you a spot in, uh, you know, Haunted Mansion. You can do a, a spooky flavor for, for July. I, like, I don't know. But like, weird, weird amount of product placement in Haunted Mansion. If you, if you watch it, spot it with your friends. I bet you'll have a good time try, trying to spot all the I didn't even get them all. Those are the ones I can remember. Um so odd. Uh, ultimately, like I think the movie is not bad. I think the budget is too big. And I think there's too many cooks in the kitchen that are trying to decide what it's going to be. They're not just letting the people who make it make it. And it caused, pro- caused problems. It's not a bad feature. But I don't know. It just it comes out being less than the sum of its parts. Just a little. But still, a fun one. And had it come, in, come out in October, I think it would have gotten more money. I think it would have done better. I think it would have gotten a better return. I think... With my huge ramble, I'm ready to roll into recommendations. Andy, um, I guess you don't have a recommendation. <laughs> no, what, what I was going to yeah, say, my, my last thing is like one of the reasons I thought this was coming out in July was to kind of promote the theme parks. And so people would go in like August and before school starts or in the fall and go to go see the Haunted, haunted Mansion. But I think your insight about the uh, this is going to come out in October on Disney Plus is probably more accurate. I mean, it definitely will. I, I do think it will help pull people into it at the parks for sure. But like Haunted Mansion is a notoriously popular ride at both of those theme parks. So like, I don't know if you really needed the bump. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's going to sell tickets per se. But yeah, I, I do think it's, you know, like a uniquely not bad feature. Like I, like the cast does a great job lifting lifting the script. Like I think Justin Simeon has a really good eye for where the camera needs to go and what to do with it. Um, it just... I don't know. It's a little too long. Two hours, three minutes, a little long, I'll admit. Um, but I liked it. I, I did like Haunted Mansion. So with that, I should say, I do recommend Haunted Mansion. Maybe not for theaters, right? Unless you got a kid who wants to go see it or like a soft date night, go see Haunted Mansion. Like, seriously, you'll get a couple laughs. DeVito's funny. Lakeith Stanfield is oozing charisma. Rock solid all around. Uh, and if not, wait for streaming. It'll it'll be on streaming in October on Disney Plus. That's where you'll be able to watch it. They will be promoting it. Totally fine Halloween watch. Totally fine stay in date night Halloween watch if that's your fancy, right? Or throw it on for the kids. Like 
totally fine. Haunted Mansion, not a bad movie. Um, I just wish the budget was smaller. So God, maybe they could have, maybe it wouldn't be a bomb. You know what I mean? Like in another world, there might be a Haunted Mansion too, but uh, probably not going to happen. Another Disney dud. And with that, we should uh, wrap the a show. Di- a uh, Disney dud on Disney Plus. A Disney or dud on Disney, Disney Plus. I, I be, I've been focus testing Dudney, but I don't think it works. <laughs> it's not, it's, it, does, it doesn't come across. It's not obvious enough. But, Andy, what are we watching next week? We are watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. This has actually gotten some buzz. The new animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. Heard a lot of good things. It's already out as of today. Uh, Tuesday, big. The, it's actual releases tomorrow, Wednesday, but there's already been some previews on Mondays and Tuesdays. So that's the big release uh, for the week, along with the Meg uh, Two. Uh, that's just an FYI release. We're not going to be watching that for the show. Um, we're also going to be taking a look back at Pain and Gain, which is Michael. Oh, <laughs> Michael Bay. It's Michael Bay's magnum. Arguably Michael Bay's best film, which is Thank crazy. You. Yeah. I, I have an explanation for this. Andy and I both desperately did not want to watch Meg 2 The Trench. So <laughs> we decided we'd maybe do something on streaming. Uh, not long ago, I subbed to Paramount Plus. I, I killed my Apple TV Plus subscription. I'll come back around on it for Severance Season 2. But uh, I was on there looking and I saw they had Pain and Gain. I've wanted to watch it again for a while. Uh, I have not gone back and revisited it since I watched it probably in college, and I'm uniquely stoked to see it. Solid summer flick, right? Uh, maybe some of Dwayne Johnson's best work. Um, uh, uh, really excited to watch Pain and Gain, so we'll have to get back with you on that. Bit of a throwback review. If you want to check that out, that's on Paramount+. Plus. Meanwhile, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is having screenings as early as tonight. Last night, they did like fan event screenings. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be out, I think, by the time this review comes out. It'll definitely be out uh, tomorrow or whenever you want to go see it. Uh, if you want to keep up with us to see what we think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Pain and Gain, or you want to follow up with us on any of these features we talked about today, easiest way to do that is to find us on any of those social media sites out there, right? We're on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday right around 5 o'clock CST. Uh, we're on YouTube where we're uploading our shows, individual reviews. Dude, insane things going on on the YouTube. Insane things happening on the YouTube page. Please go check us out. Oh my God, you don't want to miss it. You're, you, one day you're going to come find us at a house party. You're going to be like, I don't believe it, a million subs. How did it happen? And we're going to say, you should have checked out the YouTube page. Like, dude, the YouTube page is coming along. So maybe not maybe not that clean, but really clean. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Spotify. Anywhere else you can find us on social media, anywhere else you can find us in audio platforms, we are available. The best way to keep up with us there is just to subscribe. Just subscribe to your boys here at Offscript Film Review to get new episodes every single Tuesday delivered straight to your device. Uh, And leave us a rating and review while you're at it. You have no idea how much that helps us. Big deal. Subscribe, like, comment, ring this notification alarm, do whatever you got to (laughs) do, but come check out more from Offscript next week when we cover Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Pain and Gain. Unrealistically stoked for Pain and Gain. And I'm getting nervous because I haven't seen it in so long. I'm like, maybe it's trash, (laughs) but we know we're going to find out together. So that's the deal. Uh, From all of us, and off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for watching